5 p.m. You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And we're back with you here on The Punch-Out from Breakthrough News. As always, I'm your host, Eugene Perrier. This is your daily anti-capitalist news hit here on The Punch-Out. Got many things for you, as we always do. Domestic workers in South Africa win a huge victory. Meat processing is, I hate to say it, especially for Americans in this week, you might want to hear this, but meat processing, ground zero for COVID-19 in this country, it seems, or at least pretty central to it. And we start, before we get to those first, about some serious questions involving the Federal Reserve and, at least potentially, Biden's next nominee for Treasury Secretary. Well, the announcements about nominations from the Biden transition team just keep rolling in. The big one that people are talking about today is Janet Yellen moving into the Treasury Department. Now, Yellen is one of the most respected liberal economists or quote-unquote liberal, maybe I should say Democratic Party-affiliated economist. She's been the chairman of the Federal Reserve and also the president of the Council of Economic Advisors, the President's Council of Economic Advisors. So this will be the sort of the trifecta of the major financial positions or economic positions you can have in the government. And for sure, her selection is designed to reassure Wall Street and really financial markets, central banks, governments worldwide, that the U.S. is going to be something other than reckless, I guess, or that it'll be relatively predictable within the bounds of the status quo these days. Now, Yellen apparently also supports an approach to economic stimulus somewhere close to what the Biden-Harris administration has suggested. That seems to be why maybe they chose her. And it's widely accepted across the spectrum of economists, everyone from Gary Cohn to Stephanie Kelton, that two to three trillion dollars could be in order in terms of stimulus. And if you don't know, Gary Cohn Wall Street guy worked for Trump. Stephanie Kelton, uh, professor, worked for Bernie Sanders. Uh, Janet Yellen will play a huge role here, which raises some serious questions based on what's happening right now. Now, the way that these programs and these stimulus things work, and you probably know a little bit from the CARES Act, is the government provides some amount of money designed to backstop the lending by the Fed that essentially is just going to print money to accomplish that task, lending money out. And then they have the backstop you know, more or less to cover the losses. So usually, and to leverage the loans. So usually the decisions about who gets the money, it's it's partially mainly up to the Fed, but it's done in close consultation with the Treasury Department, at least usually. Now, or to some degree. Now, you may have heard last week that Steve Mnuchin was asking the Fed to end most of the programs they'd set up this way via the CARES Act. What you may not have heard is that he also wants to keep some of them going for the next 90 days. Here's the interesting thing about that. There's $340 billion in unaccounted for CARES Act money, basically. And the Fed has also has provide has failed, I should say, to provide any transaction level accounting for these three facilities that Mnuchin wants to keep going. And interestingly enough, those facilities are the three most associated with direct loans to Wall Street banks and big corporations. Even further, last week under questioning from Congresswoman Katie Porter, the vice chair, uh, the vice chair of the Fed admitted that they had been buying exchange traded funds, bundles of stocks, basically bundles of stocks, even though they had been saying they didn't want to buy a bunch of stocks and so on and so forth. She caught him in at least a little bit of a lie. Now, just to get even deeper here. 
The Fed has hired BlackRock, huge company on Wall Street, to manage all of this. And it seems based on a Wall Street Journal analysis that BlackRock leveraged this position to increase the investments into its funds. Now, what Congresswoman Porter was alluding to and what could be the case is what exactly is being hidden in this $340 billion we don't really know anything about. Is it possible that BlackRock and the Fed and the Treasury are colluding to pump money uh, into certain sectors or certain companies rather than just dispassionately looking at the market and trying to keep things stable? More importantly than that, is BlackRock self-dealing, basically, to get rich off of its position? And there's also the fact that the Fed has still provided zero accountability for the $9 trillion that it pumped into the repo market at the end of 2019 and very early in 2020. $9 trillion. You didn't hear anything about that. This is the situation Yellen is coming into, one that seems to be a high wire act by the Fed and the Treasury to hide the fact that the financial system right now is very weak. Remember, $9 trillion at the end of 2019 to the repo market. Since Yellen supports more of this type of spending and is saying that she thinks interest rates will stay low for some time, which means she really supports that, uh, these things both heavily promote stock uh, speculation and unrestrained risk-taking because, you know, you can make a lot of money in stocks and you don't worry about the risk because the government's going to cover you. It seems like things could get much much more dangerous, and that there could be many more dangerous bubbles created that stand to destroy not just Wall Street firms, but tens of millions of people who would suffer in a financial collapse. So we need to know about what's happening now. Are they doing some sort of self-dealing or propping up companies in ways that they shouldn't be? And we also have to know from Yellen, as the ultimate insider, will she ultimately stand up to this kind of corrupt dealing? Will she expose it? Or will she just keep the gravy train rolling till it runs off the tracks? These are questions that I certainly hope that somebody somewhere will ask her in her confirmation hearings. Now we are moving forward here in the United States. Quite a few of us are gearing up to eat quite a bit of meat this upcoming Indigenous Peoples Day on Thursday. That's right, Indigenous Peoples Day. I know it has another name. We don't call it that here at Breakthrough News. One thing to consider for all of us here, and really something we should always consider, is where the food comes from, who's responsible for putting it together so that it makes it all the way to our plates, and that it is that, I would say, is something that we should always be thankful for, and we should always be thinking of the farm workers, the processing workers, all those people, uh, the grocery store workers, everyone that makes it possible for us to have these family moments uh, that we also should be thankful for. But this year... I would say, more than the average year. Why? Well, meat processing plants have been right at the center of the COVID-19 pandemic. You may remember that over the summer, President Trump actually signed an order to force meat packing plants to stay open despite raging cases of COVID-19 all across the industry. And a newly released study here has quantified this, excuse me, swaddled swallowed the wrong way. Nevertheless, a newly released study here has quantified this and found that livestock plants are responsible for 6 to 8% of all COVID cases in the country and 3 to 4% of all of the COVID-19 deaths in the country. 6 to 8% of all COVID cases, 3 to 4% of COVID deaths linked directly to processing, meat processing, livestock plants. Why? Well, they note a few reasons. One, of course, is the massive speed up on lines that have been happening over the past four or five years. It really started towards the end of the Obama administration, but the Trump administration has aggressively pushed this, and it has gone alongside more lax healthcare regulations, so you got them doing way more, way more dangerously. There's also the fact that it's indoors. And then another thing that they noted that I think is deeply important is the socioeconomic status of these workers. The report notes that that, quote, 45% 
That's 45% of livestock plant workers are categorized as, categorized as low income. 80% are people of color and 52% are immigrants, many of whom are undocumented and lack ready access to health care and other worker protections that could facilitate COVID-19 prevention and treatment. So basically, the conditions in the plants are terrible. It happens to be indoors and they pay people so poorly they don't have good access to health care. Now, workers in unionized facilities, as you might imagine hearing that, have been doing somewhat better. But even there, it's a struggle and a fight. So as you sit down at the table this year, wherever you are, don't forget your meal came at a very high cost. Now we want to end on some good news here. And this is unequivocally good news out of South Africa and a major victory for workers in South Africa. The constitutional court there ruled that for the first time ever, domestic workers can claim compensation from the compensation fund that is set up for exactly these types of claims if they are injured while on duty. And the court ruled that change is retroactive. So people who were hurt while doing this domestic labor and weren't able to make a claim can go back and make that claim. And that is huge. Domestic labor is a major element of the black workforce in South Africa. And during apartheid, the image of the black female domestic worker was one of the most ubiquitous around the world, ubiquitous around the world when thinking of the country of South Africa. Many struggle songs honor the millions of women forced to work in white homes, many of whom were forced to live there for part of the week and leave their own families behind, denied even a modicum of respect, really even less than that. I don't even know what that is. Denied total respect, but maintaining a monumental dignity and being one of the key backbones of the struggle there in South Africa. Now, this situation comes because in 2012, Maria Malangu, I hope I said that correct, was found dead in the pool of her employer. Sadly, we still don't know what happened. Her family had tried to make a claim. They were denied the right to seek damages. They then launched a struggle in the courts with the support of the labor movement and other advocates to challenge the constitutionality of that denial and a whole class of workers being kept out of this. And now they have won. And Maria's family can seek damages and perhaps learn more about how she died. She was the matriarch of the family. It was a terrible situation. And without a doubt, this is long, long overdue. Even 26 years after night, at the end of apartheid, this was still not happening. So this is long overdue. No doubt about that. But this is a major victory nonetheless. And a good reminder, as so many people are facing such tough times and such long odds in their own personal situations and struggles against this brutal capitalist system, it's a good reminder that if you struggle, you can win. And that's going to do it for us here on The Punch-Out today. And this will be the last Punch-Out of this week. We're taking the rest of the week off for Indigenous People's Day. We will be back with you on Monday the 1st, it looks like. Uh, no, Monday the 30th. We'll be back with you Monday the 30th with a brand new Punch-Out. But we'll also be there on Tuesday the 1st, Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern. The Punch-Out Breakthrough News. <laughs> <laughs>